Today's episode is made possible by Gallery 101, a remarkable art gallery nestled in the heart of Basalt, Colorado. Gallery 101 is co-owned by the talented twin artists Ingrid D. Magidson and Sybil Hill Carter, who together form a dynamic and influenced female force in the art world. Their extraordinary artwork has graced galleries across the nation. To explore their captivating creations and learn more about Ingrid and Sybil's artistic journey, visit their website at www.gallery101basalt.com. Again, that's www.gallery101basalt.com. Now let's get back to the podcast. Hi, Bella. Hi, Irina. Welcome back to Moments That Define Us. Are you excited about today's episode? Yes, I'm super excited. Oh my goodness. I know. We have today a very, very special person that I am so lucky to know. I call her my my mentor. We used to work together. And I'm also lucky that we kept that relationship because sometimes when you work with somebody, you know, you work and you respect them in the workplace and then like that never turns into more, you know, Um but I'm lucky that that this woman is still in my life and she's amazing. Uh, her name is Katie Edwards, and she is now the proud owner of her company called Guided Revision. So we are going to talk to her today about so many things, so many things about working in corporate world, starting her business, consumerism. I love that word. And so much more. <laughs> Um, so should we, yeah, should we bring her in? Welcome, Katie Edwards. Good morning, and thank you. I'm also um, honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. So can we start off with how did you and Irina meet? I would, I would love to tell that story. Um, Irina and I worked at the same large corporation, and um, in my role, I had the I was gosh I was blessed I think to be able to move around to different locations and meet people who had an interest in growing their career developing their communication and making an impact and so um Irina inspired me in her commitment to her her merging of you know her passions and what the the job wanted us to do and so her and I got to work together and um, get out in the community and do financial education. And Irina had an amazing way of taking the information we needed to share and delivering it in her own, uh, as her own authentic self. It was, it was amazing. So I was, I was duly inspired by Irina. Oh my gosh, Katie. I I was right. It's, it's just, oh my gosh. Like Isabella told me yesterday that I have amazing women in my life that are very smart and passionate, and I do. To all my friends, female friends, I love you to death. But so I was thinking about something that Katie helped me do when I when we worked together. Um, so she has a way of seeing people, seeing their potential before they even see it themselves. And so she put me in charge of this event in middle school to teach kids about financial education. 
And I was so extremely nervous and I keep thinking and I keep asking her, are you sure? Are you sure? It's she's like, you, I think you are the perfect person to do this. And I have to, you know, I had to deal with a lot of higher ups in the corporation and, and asking them for all these different things, get volunteers and all of that. So that was such a good thing for me to do. So thank you, Katie, for believing in me and uh, letting me do this. And Katie came and helped, but it was just such a, like, it was so out of my comfort zone. And so I'm glad I did that. So thank you. And you did an amazing job. I was at that school recently, and they still talk about that event. And I also worked with that, uh, the third party nonprofit that was there. I, I worked with them recently, and they mm. still talk about that event. And um, you did it. You did an amazing job. It's because you had a passion for what the job was. And then um, you trusted yourself to do the other parts, the the logistical parts. And you did, you did a great job. It oh, went so well. Mm-hmm. Well, we can talk about me all day, okay. but today is not about <laughs> Today is about you. So we work together in the corporate world, and neither you or I are no longer there. But I wanted to ask you, what, what was your experience working in the corporate world? Because you did 20 years, am I right? Yeah. You know, somebody once told me that when a really good answer for something, a question like that is to say, it was unbelievable. I love that. <laughs> it was unbelievable because gosh, that could be amazing or it could be unbelievably horrible. But um, I started in um, the banking industry when I was 18 years old. So at 18, I was taking phone calls from customers and this is 2000. So 23 years ago, um, I was taking phone calls from customers and my job was to help them identify their need, the need they had and solve the problem. And a lot of the times the problem was something the bank could, there was a function or a service of the bank that could help solve their problem. But more often than not, the, to solve the problem was to ask a 37 year old mom or a grown man. And I'm 18 to change their spending habits to move their money differently. And that was a huge learning curve. And at the time, the corporation I worked for invested so much time in helping me learn to communicate. So they taught me to de-escalate situations. And if you've ever tried to de-escalate a situation that has to do with someone's money, it's no easy task. It is no easy task. They taught me to actively listen, to paraphrase, to empathize, to make suggestions without telling somebody what they need to or have to do. Um, so amazing communication development that I got from that career. Um, because, you know, telling someone to change their spending habits, it's not just the math. It's not just, oh, you had 100 and you spent 120. Or you had 100 and you spent 75. Whatever they spent that money on was meaningful to them. And I'm asking them to consider what that means. So that started my whole career. Um, I got a fir- my first major promotion when I was about 21, um, went into uh, a, a nice role that I really enjoyed, and that really started my financial education journey. Um, and so um, for that reason, the corporation that I worked for, I worked for two major banks. They provided me the ability to buy my first home sell that home, buy my forever home. I've saved for retirement since I was 18 years old. Somebody said, hey, put some money in this 401k thing. And I said, 
okay, I will. I'll put a little bit. Um, and I've never stopped. So uh, travel the world, take my kids around the world, save for their graduations from high school and their transition to what comes next for them. Amazing things. I've learned so much about money. I've met so many businesses and, and met so many people. Uh, money really is a, an anchor for all of our connections. So amazing. Um, also, I got laid off and I've been laid off three times in that journey. Um, and my most recent layoff in 2022 was a forever layoff. I'm not going back to mm -hmm. the banking industry in that capacity. What was about this laid off different than the two other times that it happened? Um, the other times that it happened, there were other opportunities that I wanted to transition into. Um, I was at a different place. I was still raising my children. Um, and, and I am still raising them, but I have young adults. And this, this layoff was after COVID and it felt a little, uh, more dismissive. I think, I think the company said not apply, you know, there are other jobs out there, but not many. Mm -hmm. The company was moving away from Colorado. They were reducing their positions in Colorado and by a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was processing what it means to get laid off, which people can take very personal. Um, I uh, found out that 15 million other people were laid off that same year. So that it's a it's a condition of our economy right now. It's a condition of of companies trying to come back after COVID or decide how they're going to function. So I yeah. think a lot has changed since since COVID, you know, a lot of people rethinking <clears throat> how they wanted to move forward and rethinking what does work mean for me, right? Because a lot of the times we we work so much and not getting paid enough. And if you don't, quote unquote, go out of your way to do something, then you're not being a team player and all of that. And I think COVID was a blessing and a curse all, all at once, because especially when it comes to workplace, how we look at, at what does it mean to be at work? What does it mean to work for somebody else? And our self-worth, like, what are we worth for, you know? Um, COVID empowered a blessing. You're right. It, it was unbelievable, right? Another unbelievable thing. COVID empowered the employee. Think about how many years we've been moving into technology and companies have become every year more and more and more efficient. However, somehow that efficiency hasn't translated to households. Households aren't more efficient. They need more people working, more hours, making more money, spending more time. So why is the efficiency of the company that pays us not transitioning to the household? And then COVID came and said, wait, shut everything down, send everybody home. And now there's this big, do we need people in the office five days a week? Mm -hmm. And employees are saying, no, I can get my job done. I don't have to get ready for an hour every day, drive and commute for two hours every day. I don't have to do all of this. Um, but companies are saying, no, we want you there. So it's like this, it's like this um, tension between the employer and the employee. Um, and employees are saying, I want more efficient. I want the efficiencies also. I mean, 15 million people laid off. It's because companies are trying to be more efficient. Yeah but the economy isn't mush pushing the money down to us so we can be more efficient with our time. 
So can I ask what inspired you to start your own business? What was that like? Did you have a moment where you saw something or? Was there a defining moment, Katie? Exactly. (laughs) You know, (laughs) there were a lot of defining moments for me. Um, One of the things I found, I did the math on was that I spent uh, for, I was, I was, I was employed for 45,000 hours. 45,000 hours I did financial education, interacting with people. Um, I did, uh, you know, working project management and communication and all of these things. And, um, and I was like, what was I good at? What did I like? What inspired me? What did I enjoy? So 45,000 hours. And also I, um, and, and then I found out that it takes, it takes you about 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. And so if I've done 45,000 hours, then dang, I'm, I'm good at something. I'm good at something. What is it? And um, COVID, COVID also gave me, like you said, let's rethink what are we doing? What are we spending our time on? What's important to us? And I engaged with some people about their business. I was looking around trying to see what I wanted to do. And I started having an impact with some of my um, network and um, on how I could help them with their business and revising uh, how they approach things. And they appreciated my guidance on that. And that's how Guided Revision came to be. I wanted to go back a little bit because we are going to talk about the Guided Revision and how amazing it is and what you do. But I wanted to go back to banking and financial education because I know how passionate you are about that. And we know that in banking, there are a lot of different positions, right? And you can, if you want, you can make a lot of money, right? Like there is wealth management and you can go there and you can make a lot of money there. That's also financial education, right? Because there's all these different resources. But you you weren't really passionate about going and helping rich people manage their money. You were more passionate about people that didn't have access to resources, get it to them. Why was that important to you? I think that is who I am. And you're right, Irina, um, most of the people I've been in banking for, I was in banking for 22 years. Many of the people I've spent my whole life working around elevated their income significantly by moving into departments where they helped people who had more money manage it. Um, I was never attracted to that path. I was actually not attracted to um, making the most money possible. So me personally, as a person, that was not an attraction. What I loved doing is um, guiding people into understanding why am I making the purchases I'm making? Do they serve me? Am I using my money the way that matches my values and my goals? And we're not. A lot of us are not matching. Um, our, our purchases don't match our actual values and goals. They match what we think we're supposed to do. They match the, we're trying to build a social identity. Um, and in our unchecked consumerism country, uh, that social identity is our clothes and our cars and our houses and how we decorate for every holiday and how we change our clothes for every season and how we get new clothes every year. And if we get a Starbucks every morning and if we, I mean, just on and on and on of this unchecked consumerism trying to establish our, our identity. Um, and I, so I didn't, I wasn't interested in pursuing that. What I loved doing is helping people get just a little more secure on their own, 
little more stable, a little, a little more security under themselves. The first time I got a hundred dollars in my savings account, I was wowed with myself. I was a young adult and I thought this feels really good because I don't even need it. And there's a hundred dollars <laughs> sitting there. And so I wanted to transition that to people. I really I'm not I'm not qualified to help people in crisis. I don't have that kind of education or training. But um, the people who are like walking along the edge of a river and if the wind blows too hard, they'll fall in. Mm-hmm. I, those are the people, the people in the margins, not the people that are rich and famous and superstars and they've got little glitter flashing around their faces every time they show up and not the people in crisis, but the people in the middle, in the margins. I have a passion for empowering them through real conversations. That's so important. I feel like a lot of people are on that line and there's a lot of help for people that are in crisis. I mean, there can always be more. Um, And there's a lot of help for people that are affluent. Um, With that being said, I think it's so interesting. Can you share a story of somebody that you helped that was, you know, maybe lost in this consumerism and some advice you gave them? Mm. Um, I'll share some experiences that have really hit home for me. I was driving down the highway after New Year's Eve, and uh, it was the next day. My husband's birthday is January 1, so we always go do something. But um, we were probably going to dinner, and we're getting off the highway, and I see a Happy New Year's hat on the side of the highway, right? And so Mm. I think about the night before, all the rush at the grocery store to purchase all the decorations to have this party, to have joy that we're trying to have for this New Year's celebration. Not us, but the whole people. Mm-hmm. And the next day, it's trash on the side of the highway. And I think about then two days later, it's donate to people who don't have enough. And I'm thinking there's trash on the side of the highway. There was a mad rush the night before to get the right decorations so that your celebration was meaningful or I don't know, mm-hmm. high energy. And it was just a waste. I think about, um, this is, this is, this is really set. This is touching. But, um, when the shooting happened in Uvalde, Texas, um, I always forget his name. Oh my gosh. He's an actor with a Southern accent. And Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. He, um, he was from there. And so he went down there and, the, and he was interviewed after the shooting and he, um, he talked to a, a dad and the dad, they said, okay, are you going to do a balloon release? And he said, the dad said, no, I would never do a balloon release because my child was, it was, um, an environmentalist at, you know, the age of six. And so then that made me think about balloons and why do we, what value do they have and why are we releasing them and why are we spending money on them? And, and they're these single use items and they represent life. We have them at like baby showers and then we have them at like funerals and but what do they really bring what meaning do they really bring and why are they so important and why do we spend money on them I guess to answer your question I just really question our habits of what makes meaning mm-hmm. and um and so working with people helping them with their credit helping them re- reestablish how can I spend money in a way that actually brings value to my day that really serves me and my family is um is what I like to do. And those are examples of things that touched me that perpetuate my journey on that, on that notion. I think financial education, it's a resource that not a lot of people have, right? Because I think about me and I wasn't born here. 
Like that was never a thing in my school, even even in my family. We weren't poor. We were just normal middle class, right? And there was not there was not a talk about money, financial education, all of that. And then when I start working for the bank, I realize how many resources are out there and how small percentage of people have access to them. And in, in our financial education, what we were doing, we were helping um, underserved community, people that don't have access necessarily to financial education. But why do you think there is such a gap? And what do you think can be done? You know, it's interesting because there's a program called, you know, Bank on Denver. They have Bank on Seattle, Bank on, Bank on. And it's it's an effort by the city partnered with banks to get the unbanked or underbanked into bank accounts. It is very expensive to not have a bank account. Mm-hmm. However, banks are for-profit organizations and they make money off of serving customers with a service, having a, a bank account. You know, a bank's number one job is to keep your money safe, I think. It's to put it in a safe place and give you convenient access to it. Um, and so so we try to get people into banks. And so we – but there's this weird gap because banks stay compl- – any, any company that's selling something, they pay attention. They continue to become more and more complex because they make more money when it's more complex for the consumer to figure out how to navigate. Mm-hmm. It's a they bec- they become more efficient and it feels more complex to the consumer who doesn't work at the bank. So to answer your question, it's scary to get into a bank. It's complex. There's these services they provide. There's these products they provide that are supposed to bring something better to my life, but it's very it's hard to navigate. Unless you work in the bank, you know exactly how everything works, how everything mm-hmm. moves, what the regulations are, how to respond to anything that happens. Um. So that's first step. Can we get the services that we need to reduce the expense of managing our money? The other part, though, is we are it, this this education is not just the services and the products. It's the habits and behaviors. And we live in a society that thrives off of consumerism. The American economy is dependent on people spending money. It is a cycle of spending money. And so when in COVID, what we saw is people stopped buying things. They stopped spending money and everything. I mean, think about the supply chain issues and the unemployment. And there was this crisis mode we went into because there wasn't spending happening. Mm-hmm. And so who's perpetuating spending? Policies, the government, the economy is all saying, go spend, go spend, go spend, keep spending, keep working, keep spending, keep producing, working, spending, keep... And now we have marketing companies telling people, you have to buy these things to feel good about your life. And all of this is coming to the consumer, and we don't have a lot of uh, messaging saying, wait a minute, do I need to buy these things to feel great about my life? Do Am I buying things that really support the life I want? Do the things I'm buying serve me? Or do they end up on the side of the highway as trash the next day? And... So financial education for me is, yes, the products, services, and the functions, but it's actually uh, my real goal around financial education has been to encourage people to th- make purchases that better represent them, that, that aren't – we are constantly being influenced by the marketing that happens out there. There's marketing. There's, there are research articles that show 
Um, a, a company can do put out marketing that convinces you that you don't have enough. So it puts you into a scarcity mindset and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a psych, psychological, uh, it's a theory. Mm. And at the bottom of our, our hierarchy of needs are, you know, our basic needs. And what they found in this theory is that when we feel, when we don't have our basic needs met, our brain stops working from a um, long-term goal position. Like I'm going to make decisions that match my goals. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when we don't have what we need, people in crisis, mm-hmm. their brain stops stops functioning in a place of long-term goals. So marketing companies come in and they tell you in little sub, subliminal messaging, you are in a, you should feel like you don't have enough. So we wake up feeling like we don't have enough. So now this part of our brain that reminds us of, us of our long-term goals is not working as well. And so now we're making purchases to try and overcome, like get some instant gratification, feel better, get out of scarcity mindset. Um, and now we're making purchases that are anti, aren't matching our long-term goals. It's, it's a big, <laughs> it's so fascinating. It perpetuates. Yeah. Um, do you have any like specific examples of like an advertisement? So people, you know, when they're watching, they can, you know, be more aware of. Yeah. So, um, so let me give you an example of something, not only scarcity mindset, but also, um, companies are doing things to require us to replace things more often. So it's called obsolescence, um, planned obsolescence. So as an example, there was a research article done that said if they took our, um, toothpaste tube and closed the, the dispensing hole by, you know, half or whatever, we, we would, need to replace our um, toothpaste 40% less. Like it, mm. we would have it that much longer, but they open it so that more, it's a wider strip that comes out. You put it on your toothpaste and you're getting, you know, you go in. Those types of things are planned by companies to increase their sales, right? And we're just, we don't even know what's happening. Wow. We're just putting toothpaste on and going and, okay, we need more toothpaste. Um, scarcity mindset uh, would be anything like... Um, you know, you're scrolling and it's fall season and you start seeing things on your social media about what are the fall colors and here's an outfit and you start seeing things that influence, oh gosh, I'm not ready for these. I don't have what I need. We wake up in the morning and we don't have what we need. We didn't get enough sleep. We don't have enough coffee. We don't have enough exercise. We don't have enough clothes. We don't have enough friends. And we, we just start our day. We're just in this place of starting our day, not having enough of what we need. But if we really sit down and look at what we do have. It's always like what we don't have. I feel like we live in this place where we always like, you know, that saying, oh, I'll be, be, I'll be more happier when I, when I find the guy or the girl. I'll be more happy when I get that promotion. I'll be, and then when we get there, then we're looking for something else, right? And then I'll, this, when this happened, this will happen, you know, and we just never live in this present moment and there's always more 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 but i'm like what are we it's almost like we're running away from something right we run into that next thing but why aren't we just sitting and like looking oh my gosh i'm so you know i'm so grateful that i that i do have this job but it can also can go you know when somebody's living paycheck by paycheck you know I think maybe it's hard for people to find that feeling of being grateful to where you really don't have enough, you know, to 
to survive because I feel like now a lot of people are just surviving, just trying to survive and we don't really live. You know, Irina, I, but I, 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 two responses. One is that I don't think it's because we're bad people. I do, as I was sharing, I do think our economy, our policies, marketing, the way, if we, if major corporations stop making money tomorrow, like they did in COVID, we go into crisis mode as a country. We, we don't have the need. We can't meet people's health needs, food needs. Like we go into crisis mode. We are dependent on constantly purchasing. So it's not just us as humans. It is our current economy. We believe that our economy has to keep growing. We haven't paused to say, how do we go into like a steady state? Can, can we have a year where we don't grow? But mm-hmm. check any, ask any corporation, ask any country, did you grow last year? If not, then you're, 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 it's fatalistic, mm-hmm. part one. Part two, I would say a defining moment for me, our whole life we're going to experience loss, all of us. We're going we're gonna to lose a job. We're going to, um, our favorite sweater is going to get snagged on something. We're going to have to get rid of it. Um, we're going to experience loss. And I would say that a defining moment for me was when I started to be comfortable and actually welcome loss. I I lost something I was very, very attached to. Mm. And um, it took me a while. um, But I love I I've I valued the lesson the 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 detachment that came with that. And so losing our job, losing having our car break down, stressful, stressful, but it is so rewarding to sit down and say, Hey, I'm going to be okay. What does this mean for me? I'll give you guys an example. My family and I, we went to Wyoming on a vacation and we were having so much fun. We were camping on the side of a river and we, we were with another family and we decided to go river rafting. And so a bunch of us adults, a bunch of kids, we get in a raft. There's no guide. I don't know. I don't know what we were thinking. We get in this raft. We go down. Listen, we smashed into a a, a brick wall to stop and get off the river. We were okay. Bad, bad, bad parenting 101. I don't know what <laughs> we were thinking. Fun. So we get off the river. Everyone's okay. No one, you know, we had our life jack. We get out the river, and we go. And my husband pats his 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 pants, and the keys aren't there. Shit. So we start recalling that we had heard this plop and we thought it was a fish like rope rafting down the river it was the keys they fell out of his pocket and fell this is our suv that we took with us camping to wyoming on fourth of july weekend we have our whole family all our camping equipment our dog her food and all her things that she needed and um we're sitting there like okay how do we solve this and we ended up We couldn't get the keys replaced until like after the holiday weekend. I think 4th of July was the Monday. So we're okay. So we couldn't stay at the campsite. They, they were like, it's reserved. You can't stay here. So we moved our family. We rented a little teeny car and moved our family back and forth into a motel. And we sat in the motel and my husband was so upset. He was so upset. And it was such a... You know, it was such a... We lost our expectations, right? It was a loss. It wasn't a, you know... And um, 
we all, you know, the kids started jumping on the bed in the motel, the dogs there. And my husband like just leaves. He needs to go for a walk. They're jumping around. They're having fun. And the next day we wake up and we get in the pool and our youngest child learns to swim that day in the pool. And we finally get our car and drive home. And when we look back, it was one of our favorite vacations, even though there was such a, we had to get a key made. We had to, I mean, we had to solve a lot of hardship and gosh, hardship. I'm not talking about being homeless. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but a lot of hardship that we had to solve as a, a unit. And it was just so rewarding in the end. So I think loss, accepting what loss means and embracing it is a real, it's a real life changer. It's a real, it's a real pause. It's a real, um, rewarding and meaningful experience. Can I go a little bit deeper? You said the defining moment was for me when I finally, uh, learn how to accept loss and welcome it in my life and accept it. And I wonder how, how did you learn to do that? Because I, I imagine it's not one day, or maybe it was, I don't know, just my assumption. Like I wake up one day, I think I'm going to accept loss. But how, how was that for you if, you, if, you, if you're okay going there? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, it leads to another defining moment for me. But I um, was going through a loss um, that was, I wasn't, I was struggling to accept and it was weighing on my brain. It was the type of thing where you wake up in the morning, you're brushing your teeth and you're thinking about all the things you could have said, could have done, mm-hmm. could, you know, and your, your brain just going, going, going. And I recognized how I was stuck, which is a lot of the work I do with guided revision. I help like, how are we stuck? Where are we stuck? So I recognize I'm stuck somewhere and it's, it's heavy on my, my mental state. And so I started journaling and I know that's just sounds like the simple answer. Just start journaling. No, I found this journal and the journal, um, it, every month you stay with one topic. So for example, there's a whole month about money and you answer a prompt prompt every day about money. So when you spend a month Um, writing down, it might be like, describe your relationship with money in three words. What was your money story growing up? What's your money story now? What would you do if you had $500 today? You know, so you spend a month answering all these questions. And what I learned to do in that journal is to articulate what I want. I will tell you, we are professionals, all of us, most of us adults here in America, we are experts at saying what we don't want. We're experts at armoring up and getting ready for battle to defend what we don't want in our life. And I would offer that mostly children and a very few young adult, a very few adults are good at articulating what they do want. Mm -hmm. It is a game changer to be able to say, you know what I really want in this situation, as opposed to, well, I don't want this. So journaling... I learned what I want. And one day I went back and I reread some of my journal articles and I looked at it and I thought, I like me. I like me. Look at what I wrote. This is good. I was in, it was better than any Facebook post I ever made, any Instagram post, any jab I put on someone else's Facebook post that they were so wrong about. It was like this, I wrote this thing down and I'm like, I like who I am. And I don't know if a lot of us like who we are. It takes time. So writing, getting to know myself, knowing what I want. And now when loss happens, I go back to, well, what do I want? What's important to me? 
How does this fit into the things I want? So when my pipe is broken in my house, well, what do I want? I still want to have um, time with my family. I want to be gathered. I want to have friends around. So how do I get what I want, even though I don't have the means for certain, you know, Mm -hmm. what do I want? What do I want? It's hard. It's very hard because I think most of us are equipped with helping, you know, other people and giving advice, right? And I don't know if if you ever experienced that to where when your friend or your family member in a situation, because you are from outside, right? Like you see like, oh, here, I think that this would be good or this would be good. But then when it comes to you, it might be the same situation. You get stuck. It's, um, yeah, get, getting, getting to know yourself is, is the journey of a lifetime. Journey of a lifetime. Going back a little bit, um, we're talking about consumerism. You, when we were on the phone, you talked about how this all kind of started in our economy. Um, can you explain that? Yeah. So I've, um, I've been really passionate about helping people stop spending on things they don't want to spend. And then I'm like, well, why, how did we get to this point where we have to spend so much? So I did some research on this and there was a time back around the depression to come out of the depression. There were advertisements that said, go out and buy go out and buy something is, is your civic duty to go out and make a purchase. Well, at that time, people didn't buy all these things every day. They weren't out purchasing like we do now. And the economy, what the, you know, the, the, the decision makers, the government, they were saying, if we go make these purchases, companies will come back, jobs will come back. Um, and, and we'll move forward. At the time there were one income households. In the 1950s, most most households survived off of one income. Amazing. The environment had all of these resources. Our earth had all of these resources to produce these things, metals and, and cars and dishwashers and whatever. So we had all these resources. So we started down this journey of, okay, go buy advertisements, go buy something. So families started to go buy things. Really, the homemaker became responsible for being the purchaser in the family. You now need to decorate your home to set up the identity of your home. You need to make sure your kids have all of these things so that they represent your family. Your husband needs to have these things, the car, you know, did you have the station wagon with the wood paneling? Did you upgrade your dishwasher? Whatever. So, um, so they, we started purchasing, we started buying, it started creating an economy, um, companies got wealthier, they were able to, able to grow, they were able to employ people, which is important. We have to have mm-hmm. a way to employ people and feed people. But we never stopped. We never paused. We never came away from that. We never said, okay, how do we continue to be successful? And now we are in a place in America and in many other countries where we use one and a quarter earths like we don't give the earth enough time to regenerate oh my god not all countries costa rica they they don't do that and they have on their people are on a, their happiness index go google a happiness index costa rica and a country in like asia bhutan a kingdom their mm-hmm. happiness index and the the lifespan of their people is is very high and they do mm-hmm. not continue to take from the earth produce consume they're not trapped in this cycle. Um, but that's what happened for us. And, and, and here in America, we do uh, use more of the earth than what can regenerate on its own. Where do you think the happiness index for Americans? 
Um, well, we have uh, very poor education, very poor infant mortality and um, birthing mother mortality. We have huge poverty. We have huge incarceration. We have um, a huge mental health issue, Alzheimer's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on about really mm -hmm. where the people of America are. Um, but our companies are doing well. And our yeah. government is, is doing well. So I don't know what that means. Happiness, <laughs> happiness written all over. I know. Um, it's so interesting because I feel like my generation and your kids are in my generation. So I'm curious what you think. But a lot of us are like, I don't want to go into the working force. I can't make enough. Why would I go sell my soul to a company that can't give me anything in return? And I feel like our grandparents back in the day were like, Oh, I, you know, go buy a house, go do this. And times are very different. And so I'm curious if you've noticed a trend in that or, you know, personal experience with your kids. Absolutely. Gen Z, you guys inspire me so much. Oh, good. That's the first time I've ever heard that. Oh, so inspired. Um, yes, phenomenal. My son runs a barbershop out of my basement. So cool. He makes real income. Um, he, there's a real community. I have um, mostly young black and brown young men coming through my door every day they crack jokes they're having a good time they're moving money between each other a lot of them are also selling clothing mm -hmm. so he's doing haircuts they're selling clothing they're making music they're doing i mean they have this economy between each other so to your point they are finding ways this is thanks to the internet they're teaching themselves ways to make money and they're making money. Mm -hmm. And um, so I have a lot of hope for like small business and gigs and um, kind of a more creative, um, a creative way to accomplish, do the things we need and want without relying on these mega, mega organizations that served us at one time, but I don't think they serve us any longer. I don't think corporations serve us the way. Yeah, just to. this consumerism. And I think people are just so unhappy and we live in this the u.s it's the greatest country in the world and you know we look at other countries and we feel bad and we try to push all of our stupid products on them um but i feel like we're all miserable like we all go work a job to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't care about there was a time where i at birthday parties i stopped doing present opening on the agenda like we're not going to open gifts at my my kids birthday parties okay. anymore and people would get uncomfortable. But what happened was one day we were sitting around, we were at a birthday party where op everyone's opening gifts or the child is opening gifts. And I looked around, the whole party had stopped. The kids were all sitting around waiting. Oh gosh, I wonder if I'll, they'll let me play with that gift. And mom, I want that for my birthday party. And just thinking about how much they wanted to have what this other person had. The adults are, had stopped conversing and interacting and having fun and were, gosh, oh, I hope my gift gets a good response. And the birthday child was opening gifts and, you know, silently stack ranking them in their head or thinking, well, you know, cousin Sam isn't going to get to play with this because they destroy all my gifts. You know, I'm not sharing. That's what they're thinking. Do I like this or do I not? And am I going to share? And I thought, what? This this birthday party was to gather people who love each other to have a good time. Why are we doing this gift opening display? And how much pressure did it put on everyone who came before the party? Mm -hmm. Undue pressure, unchecked consumerism. They're at the store trying to, you know, buy the best gift. And it just didn't make any sense to me. And so that's an example of let's observe our trends. Let's observe our norms and let's 
let's adjust them. I love, I feel like humans are meant to connect and Christmas, all these holidays. And like, I think back to me, my best memories are shared with other people, mm-hmm. not the best gift I got. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah. That's one of the things we used to share with financial education is that Christmas, um, people remember traditions more than they remember gifts. So as we go into this holiday I season, <laughs> uh, think about the traditions that are so meaningful to you. Um, and maybe call your family and say, hey, let's change up our gift expectations this year. Give some relief. Let's not, it's not even fun to go Christmas. It's not fun to go Christmas shopping, in my opinion. It's not. Mm-mm. Um, Mm-mm. It's stressful. So, yeah. I, yeah. And I, so two things I wanted to, to say what Katie said about Gen, Gen Z, because um, so me and Bella, sometimes, you know, we, um, friendly fight. We don't fight. Like we just have <laughs> just disagreements. Each other. Yeah. I was like, oh, your generation. Or <laughs> like chat GBT AI. <laughs> well, I was like, your generation just want everything instant and all of that, which there's truth to that. But I do want to say that I have also a lot of hope for this generation. And um, because so on a podcast, we did an interview of, of some of the Gen Z and what is really inspiring to see is how open they are to mental health and to getting help mm-hmm. and to saying, I am struggling and I need help, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's to me because my generation and generation down don't even get me started. Again, I'm not putting everybody in one bucket, but how this generation, hopefully going forward, how everybody or most of the people open, right, to that and something on a financial education that I wanted to say, to go back to that event that we did at that school, middle school, I remember when, even with, with that event, but also with so many other events that we did specifically with high schools, I was just so impressed with these kids. The good question they were asking, I was like, at that age, I didn't know nothing about money. I knew my dad, my mom worked, and we had money to buy food. You know what I mean? But I didn't know the deeper, but they were asking all these questions and, and credit and granted I'm not from here. So in Ukraine, credit isn't a big thing, but they were asking all this question. And I remember it was such a joy to see that. So hopefully we are heading in the right direction with, with a new generation. So Bella, even though I give you shit sometimes, <laughs> but I think you guys up to something good. Oh, good. Well, thank you. I mean, think about all the the movements they've inspired and asked us to question, you know, gender roles, not even gender identity, gender roles have been in question. I mean, think about the women's movement, to the, the right to vote, the right to work, the right to make money, not just the right, but like the reestablishing the norms from the 1960s. But here comes this generation and is continuing to question these things. What are, what are we doing? Let's question our norms. Let's question our habits. And this generation definitely does. And it's not all, they're not always right, Irina. There's times where millennials are more right and we are more right. <laughs> oh my and gosh. Bella's I'll t- I'll and her friends that. are more wrong. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> but let's have the conversation. We're going to take a break to give a shout out to our favorite sponsor, Ingrid D. Maggotson is a world-renowned international artist based in Aspen, Colorado. She creates layered mixed media and abstract art. She is inspired by the beauty and nature in pieces from the Renaissance era. We are thrilled to have Ingrid D. Maggotson as our sponsor, and we encourage you to support her incredible work. If you want to learn more about this artist, go visit her at www.ingridmaggotson.com. Again, that's www.ingridmaggotson.com. 
Magidson, M-A-G-I-D-S-O-N.com. Now let's get back to the show. So like when, when you talking to a client or, you know, somebody you helping and they say, oh, I love Starbucks. Every day I go to Starbucks and it makes me so happy. But you, so one part is makes them happy. They get their latte, whatever. But then on the other hand, they're spending money. How would you... Mm-hmm. How would you guide that person? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the defining moment where I said, I know what I want, the, the, the second part of that is I take responsibility for what I want. Not only do I know and can articulate it, but I take responsibility. And so in financial education, um, my approach is not that um, here are your needs. They're food, clothing, housing, utilities. Here are your wants. Uh, Starbucks cigarettes, uh, wine, um, fancy clothes. Mm -mm. I don't do that. I don't categorize need versus wants. What I ask of people I'm working with in financial education is what is a need for you and what is a want for you? And so if someone says to me, I need Starbucks, Katie doesn't need Starbucks. Katie has a percolator over there that creates coffee every morning at 5:45 AM. Um, but this person says it's a need in their life. Mm-hmm. And so that's fine. So then let's add that up. So you're spending $100 every two weeks on Starbucks. Let's write that down. $100 every two weeks on Starbucks. Is that serving you? Yes. Okay. Is it, what are you giving up to make that purchase? Well, I'm struggling paying my rent. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Is that, does that match? Uh, I guess I'm not articulating. Let me back up. Um, Someone who says, I need Starbucks and it makes me happy. I do challenge them to think, is it a need or a want? Why does it make you happy? Are there other ways that you could be happy? But I want people to know, I think the most powerful thing you can do is when you divide, devise how you spend your money, that you take responsibility for it. So if I'm spending on Starbucks because it's a need or want or a happy trigger for me, that's fine. But does the math now add up? Are you willing to give up the, uh, which are you willing to give up the hundred dollars and how you could also be using it? Are you still going to achieve your goals? Is it a goal to have Starbucks every day for the rest of the year? That's your goal. Then as long as you have the money to match it, you can get the Starbucks. I guess my approach is more of a, you're not making a bad decision. Just own the decision you're making. Mm-hmm. I love it. I worked in AmeriCorps and I worked with this nonprofit that did, worked with people trying first time home buyers. And it was so interesting because they told me about that. They were like, we go through the spending habits. And let's say, for example, someone loves getting their nails done. And it means a lot to them. She's like, I'm not going to tell them that they can't do that. But let's see where you can avoid spending money. Maybe avoid going out to dinner and cooking Mm -hmm. at home so that you can do those things that, you know, still bring you joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't take a big change to make a big change in your financial future. So where do you want to Say it again. It does not take a big change to make a big change in your financial future. I'm putting it on the t-shirt. Okay. (laughs) Because, (laughs) side note, so many people we interview have so many good quotes that I'm like, oh my gosh, it does. I'm going to ask. We're going to make like a whole merchandise line. We'll cut this out. Uh, Absolutely. I'm not cutting this out. This is amazing. Okay. Um, Okay. So can we talk a little bit more about your business? So guided revision, you started... Uh, kind of around the time when you got laid off. So tell us a little bit about the business and like who is your 
who are you helping? Because you're doing good work, but who, who can come to you and say, Katie, I need help? Okay. So I help two people. Number one, my client is a business owner. Um, right now, my client are small business owners and they, um, you know, I have clients anywhere from 10 to, I have a client with uh, about 70 employees on average. And these business owners are running organizations and they have a lot of work to do every day. And they have leaders in their organizations that they lean on to help make the business successful. But the business owner doesn't always have time to develop uh, the people they value the most in their organization. And so they hire me and say, here are some people who are doing good work for me and I want them to feel valued and I want them to continue to grow their communication skills and their professional skills. And so I come in and do a guided revision pathway with them. Mm -hmm. um, the pathway, guided, re guided revision, we activate authentic creativity in people so that they can then understand themselves and them, their selves in relationship to the organization they serve. And they can continue to influence and grow that organization. Really good for our Gen Zers who want to be authentic and want to influence organizations. Um, that's what I do. I come in and say, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what your strengths are. Okay. Now we know your strengths. We get, we have an idea of who you are. That's part of the pathway. Then we do um, a situation where they are asked to complete a task. They get to choose the task. So maybe they need to run a team meeting at their organization. And I work with them before, during, and after. And we, inf we say, how do you bring those strengths we identified earlier in the pathway and put it into this task you're completing? And they get to practice implementing their strengths pushing their authenticity into this task. And we debrief, how did it go? What would you do differently? And then the next part of the pathway is now um, a challenge for them to be influential, influence their peers, influence people above them and below them in the organization. And um, so we practice communication skills. We do a lot of revision. We do a lot of revision, um, a lot. And revision means looking back assessing what I did and planning forward, looking okay. back, plan forward. I think it's so important what you do, because I feel like we can all benefit from learning how to communicate better. Either that's with your kids, with your spouse, uh, at your workplace, with your business. A lot of the times we think, oh, if I'm, you know, at this age, I know how to communicate, but to communicate effectively and efficiently and yeah it's it's amazing what you do do you also incorporate financial education into your business you know what Irina thanks for asking it comes up all the time every person I work with I'm not just saying okay how do you better serve the organization I'm saying who are you where are you at what are your goals and every time every person I work with has a some sort of goal that has a financial component to it um, and so it, it does come up and, um, I am designing a financial education club for companies to have at their business. Uh, it's in, it's in the works right now. And it's kind of like people come together, people in the, and they, they come in and we do, um, we assess our spending and we talk about also, you know, the tactical parts of being financially stable, but it's the decision-making and the products and services and ways of accomplishing financial goals. Okay. And so where can people find you? What do you have? 
Thank you so much for asking. I, <laughs> I am so excited. I feel I was very successful with my business because I um, have uh, three really great clients that I've been serving over the last year. But I got so busy diving in with their highest valued employees that I haven't established a website. I do have a contact information. Uh, so um, my email is katie at guidedrevision.xyz. Okay. And my name is spelled unique, but there it is. It does. My, every time I text you, my phone changes your name. And Albella has the last question to wrap it up. Okay, so your three defining moments, and we're doing something. I think it's fun, but I want to make like a compilation. Compile. Compilation. Compilation of everybody's most embarrassing moment because or funniest moment. All right, Katie. So three defining moments that makes you who you are today, and one of them will be an embarrassing one. An embarrassing, funny one. Shameful, whatever. Okay. Okay. Um, This one is not funny at all. I'll start heavy. I bought a new car, and having been financially savvy, I paid for it in cash. Um, was so happy. Same day, drove it. Was went to the store, uh, parked the car. Parked way back in the parking lot. It's a white car. It was new to me. I don't buy brand new cars. Uh, went into the store, came back out, and there is a red ding. No, on my you're white kidding car. me. Red ding. Oh, I'd be. I was so upset at humanity. I was so mad. I was so upset. And I got in my car and I sat down and I checked my phone and scrolled and I'm like, oh, and there was a mass shooting and 27 people had just been murdered in a Walmart in Texas. And I drive around with that red ding in my car like a, hey, it represents, who cares? Who cares? Mm. Oh, that's so inspiring. That same day. And that was what happened. That It was a defining, that, so consumerism. Mm-hmm. That was what happened. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, uh, another one would be when I finished a memoir by Kiese Lehman called Heavy. Um, starting to read. I didn't, I wasn't really a reader. I was kind of a little thug, little kid. I kind of ran around and did all kinds of crazy things and wasn't really into education that I mean, I was, I had good grades, whatever. I don't know. Um, but I started to read, I read this memoir and, um, I highly recommend it. It's called heavy. And what I love about this memoir is, or all memoirs are these people sharing their stories and their inspiring inspirational moments and what, what changed them and what taught them in life. Um, and he actually, the author created this idea of revision. He, he created sentences that land so hard for me. And he said, once he said, we owe it to our teachers and our children to imagine new routes to beauty, health, um, compassion, um, civility, and the American imagination. We owe it to each other to love and insist on meaningful revision for the rest of our lives. Yes, we do. Mm. I love it. Revision. I love revision. Okay, so my pants, my pants story. So I was setting up a training for um, at the bank 
for a bunch of um, a large group of bankers like Irina who wanted to go out and do meaningful financial education in the community. I was setting up this training. We're going to do this training. It was my first one. I'd finally convinced the people at the top to, you know, let's bring people together and let's do this. I think it'll be powerful. And so the room set up, I've got the PowerPoint, I've got the food, I've got the, all the things and the, the supplies and the agenda. And I'm running around, I bend over. <laughs> I have some really cute slacks on, really cute slacks. And it just, and I, um, I wear thongs most of the time because... <laughs> Because, you know, I was, I was, we are female. Yeah, we're female and the panty lines don't look good. So, so now we've got this peach, this peach. Was it like, were people in there or was it at the beginning? So it's like this office space with cubicles where all the admins set, but like the executive level people are in all their offices, glass windows, and my suit coat is in my office. So I need to get from, from from conference area to office and the meeting is starting like the meeting is going to start so i okay i had enough time i ran to target and i got a cute pair of magenta pants i still have them there's so, but every time i go to put them on i remember just and just this big peach out in the world fighting what's like the breeze <laughs> Oh my gosh, Katie, thank you for sharing that. That's like all of your defining oh, moments. I love it. Are great. But you know, those funny, embarrassing one, I think, I think, you know, we are all humans and we all had these embarrassing moments, but at the end we all laugh about them and we share them and that's what makes us closer. So why does fabric sound so loud when it rips? Why is it like loud to make everybody aware that something might be coming out (laughs) the peach is out it's like hello world welcome (laughs) look at me i've arrived (laughs) oh and you have arrived katie well thank you so much for being on a podcast and sharing your story you are inspiring to me more than more than a lot of people and i respect you so much and I wish you the best of luck with your business. You are doing good work, needed work, and uh, anybody who needs help if you have a company. And you also, like, j- j- just one more question. You also help individuals, right? Or is it just more a company? Oh, yeah, I didn't answer that. So, yes, yeah, so the owners hire me to work with the individuals. So I, the, the pathway I do is with people employ the owner hires me because they value this person but then I spend time one-on-one with their employee developing skills um so my that's who I work with okay would it be like um a small business and somebody's super valuable and they're the manager the boss is noticing that they're kind of having a hard time and then they would hire you on is that yeah kind of okay they're having a hard time or um, because everyone's super value, I mean, not everyone's super valuable, but people who are super valuable still deserve to have someone to reaffirm them, explore with them, grow with them. And uh, owners who hire me are putting that investment in those people. With that being said, thanks, Irina. Thanks, Bella. We will talk to you all next time. Happy day. No. <laughs> <laughs> Happy day. <laughs>